You're listening to Jewish Matters with Rabbi Jonathan Feldman. And welcome to Jewish Matters Podcast. And tonight we're talking about Abraham's tent. And this uh, Parsha Vayera is uh, full of stories. We're going to have nine meaningful, uh, impactful stories to go through. Uh, the first one is Abraham's signature scene, where he is standing at the entrance of his tent, waiting for guests to invite in. And uh, he's just been circumcised, he's not feeling well, and yet he's in the heat of the sun. Heat of the sun. And when guests finally arrive, he begs them, he requests for them to come in. And we learn how to bring guests into our home from Abraham. First of all, we see that he serves them the best, uh, the best food, takes care of them in the best way, and hospitality even on a higher level than his own lifestyle. That's the first one. The second one is that uh, he does it himself. He prepares the food himself. He doesn't outsource it. He doesn't hire people. He does have a staff, but he takes care of the most important aspects. He's the one who interacts with them. And thirdly, when they leave, he walks them out the door and part of the way, which is another custom we learn from Abraham. But what's most striking about this scene is that Abraham, it says, God appears to Abraham. Abraham is having a divine, transcendental experience, prophecy, uh, the height of human greatness. And in the middle of that experience, when the, guests come, when the travelers walk by, he says to God, hold on, hold it right there, I'll be right back. And he runs off and to, to, to invite them in. And so the rabbis say that it's greater to invite guests into one's home, even greater than communing with the divine. And so that's the importance of doing good towards others, being a giving person. The next scene, we see also Abraham's caring in another way. Uh, God says to Abraham, the city of Sodom, where his brother-in-law is living, by the way, uh, has become very evil. And they are going to be destroyed. They are so corrupt. Abraham does not accept that. He argues with God. And he says, what if there are fixed 50 righteous people? Then how could you destroy the city? And God says, granted, if there are 50 righteous people, but it seems there were not, they bargain until Abraham gets to 10. And then after 10, or it seems there are not even 10 righteous people, Abraham drops it. So what is it about 10? So 10 means a community. 10 people means there would be a core of good people who could reinforce each other, who could strengthen each other, and who could turn the society around from the bottom up. Yet, those 10 aren't there. So the question is, what does Abraham's arguing with God mean? Can we change God's mind? How do we understand that? And so there are two possible ways of understanding it. One is, of course, we don't change God's mind. But either Abraham's merit, Abraham is backing the people with his own merit. By showing he cares for them, he brings merit upon them. The same idea when we pray for someone, we're showing to God, they're important to them, to me. So whatever happens to them will impact me. And so in my merit, uh, please help them. The other way to understand it is that God interacts in the world with accountability. Yet God is also merciful. But for God to have that mercy, it needs to be brought out. 
So that's what Abraham is trying to bring out. The city cannot be saved, and uh, we're going to see the next scene, the three guests that Abraham brings in. Turns out they were angels. Two of them go on to the city of Sodom. And we see his brother-in-law, Lot, carrying on Abraham's tradition. Uh, he invites them into his home. Now in Sodom, this isn't simply a little uh, going out of one's way, uh, generosity. It's something that could be dangerous because the quality of Sodom, the rabbis say, is selfishness, is xenophobia, is what's mine and mine and what's yours is mine. No generosity, the exact opposite. And so, uh, after Lot has taken in these guests, uh, the Sodomites uh, show up at Lot's door and they want to do what their, uh, what their namesake, uh, Sodom, uh, to them. And Lot is intent on defending his guests, the tradition of hospitality. Once they're in one's home, they're his responsibility. However, we see that, uh, sadly, Lot's sense of res responsibility and hospitality is warped. He left Abraham, he moved to Sodom, uh, a city which was materialistic, not spiritual, and even though he retained some of his values, they become warped, because he offers to the Sodomites, he offers up his daughters uh, in exchange for the guests, and what they're going to do to his daughters wouldn't have been pretty either. How could he do such a thing? Nachmanides says his sense of ethics became warped because he lived amongst these people. And we see that, we're going to see that with the next scene with his daughters as well, their warped sense of ethics. So Lot uh, is saved by these angels who miraculously uh, disperse, disperse the crowd and they say to him, now we have to go, we got to get out of here. And it said Lot was hesitating. Uh, he was waiting for his sons-in-law, who really mocked him for saying, uh, telling them this. And in the end, uh, the rabbis say he was also trying to uh, liquidate his portfolio. He's trying to take what he could with him at the danger of his life. The angels grab him, pull him out of there. In the famous scene, Lot's wife looks behind and is turned into a pillar of stone. Why is that? different possible explanations, a psychological reality. When there is destruction, when there is misfortune, people look. The phenomenon of, uh, uh, in a car, right, of rubbernecking. Uh, the, often the accident isn't in front of you, it's in the opposite lane, but people slow down to look. Why do they slow down to look? It's kind of a morbid sense of um, safety, that, oh, this happened to them and not to me. On a, sub, on a psychological level. So she's turned into a pillar of salt. And they flee to the mountains. Um, Lot pleads to be able to go with the people and not in isolation. Although then he realizes, no, it's dangerous to be in a, even a small town that got spared. They go into isolation in the mountains and Lot's daughters think they're no more humans alive. And so what do they do? They get their father drunk and they have children with him. Now you might think, noble idea to keep, to preserve humanity if they think there's no more human beings alive. Yet, 
after they do so, what do they name the children who come from this uh, union, this incestuous union? They name the children uh, Moab, which means from my father, and Ammon, uh, from my people. So they brazenly name their offspring after the act they did with their father. And that's where they see, we see once again that there is something off in terms of even their good intentions. Okay, so uh, in the next scene, Abraham uh, moves to Gerar uh, nearby and he's afraid for his wife again, like he was when they went down to Egypt, and he tells people she is his sister. Avimelech, the king, approaches him, wants to marry her, brings her into his home, and like Pharaoh, gets struck by some kind of disease. Realizes there's something off here, and then brings her back, finds out that she's really his wife. And, she, and he says, why didn't you tell me that she was your wife? And even though they weren't as explicitly, as straightforwardly corrupt as the Egyptians, they wouldn't have just kidnapped and grabbed her necessarily. Abraham says, there's no fear of God in this place. You present yourself as God-fearing people, but we're going to see with Isaac how these people behave. So um, Abraham then prays on behalf of Abimelech, on behalf of a person who seemingly is his nemesis, and uh, Abimelech is saved. The next uh, chapter is the birth of Isaac. And once again, the contrast of Lot's hospitality with Abraham's. Here we have the contrast of Lot's children with Abraham. And uh, it says that Sarah finally had a child in her old age after the promise we saw last week. And he, she laughs. And he is named, God said, his name will be Yitzchak. Now, Yitzchak, laughter can be many different things. It can be laughter of incredulity, uh, that one can't believe what is happening. It could be a laughter of sarcasm, or it could be a laughter of joy. And uh, Sarah's laughter was laughter of joy, but the other people were a laughter of sarcasm. Oh, you think Abraham was really the father? So we see the many different dimensions this can have. And um, in the next scene, the Isaac becomes a little older, and it says that Yishmael is mitzachek. He is joking around, but in a negative way. And Sarah is afraid of the influence that Ishmael, the older boy born from her servant when she couldn't have children, she's afraid of the influence he'll have on Isaac. She says to Abraham, we have to take him out of the house. This is a very difficult moral dilemma in schools, sometimes even in a family. What happens if one child is having a very negative impact spiritually, morally, upon the other children? What do you do? Do you remove them and give them no chance of being in a good environment? Do you keep them in with the chance of the good children being influenced towards the bad? Very heart-wrenching choices. And Abraham is hesitant. Ishmael is his firstborn. God says to Abraham, famous line, everything your wife Sarah says, you should listen to her. And um, uh, advice for husbands. And they're sent out into the desert. They run out of water. Uh, 
Hagar, in also a morally insensitive move, drops the child, drops Ishmael under a bush and walks away, doesn't want to see him die instead of staying by his side and comforting him. But then God comes to her and says, I told you, I promised that this would be a nation in the future. And uh, it says, he opened her eyes and there was the water. And a very powerful message that sometimes we're in distress, we're in trouble, and we don't know where to turn or what to do. And sometimes the answer is right there in front of our eyes. We just have to open our eyes in order to see it. The final scene, uh, before the binding of Isaac, Abraham then makes a covenant with Avimelech, with, with the king that he got in a, a, a tough with before. And Rashbam, one of the commentaries, says that that was not necessarily a good thing because uh, the land was promised to Abraham. Uh, you can have other nations living as righteous Gentiles, but it was Abraham's land. And so we have the, uh, the bookends to the first story of Abraham's inviting in the guests and his goodness and his empathy. And the last scene of Abraham being told to take his son Isaac and to bring him as an offering. One of the most difficult, puzzling scenes in the Torah. And uh, in short time, it's very difficult to explain. But the one lesson that we are supposed to learn from it is Abraham's total dedication to the Almighty, being ready to give up even that which was most precious to him. So that's what we're supposed to learn from the story of the binding of Isaac. How could God do this? In the end, we see God never really intended to do it. He just wanted to see, would Abraham be willing to offer his son as a sacrifice? And the contrast with the beginning story is that Abraham is now asked to do a cruel act. And we're going to see all of the patriarchs were tested. And Abraham, we said, has ten tests. Uh, it says in the beginning of this story, God tested a Abraham. And once again, a test is not pass-fail. It's to bring out his potential. At the end of the story, God says, now I know that he is God-fearing. Doesn't God know it's in our heart? So it's to bring out the potential. When we actualize our potential, that's when we truly become ourselves. That's when we truly achieve greatness and change the world. So the striking thing about this test is it goes exactly against Abraham's qualities of mercy and empathy. Abraham had to learn that sometimes he also has to be tough and he also has to do things which are going to cause pain. And so we're going to see that each of the patriarchs was tested in this way. So those are the two uh, highlight stories of Abraham, the guest in the tenth, the binding of Isaac, with much in between. Shabbat Shalom, and we hope this makes the Parsha more interesting.